Hello and welcome back to Relevant Founders, brought to you by Relevant Software. Relevant is an international software development company that designs, builds and delivers world-class standard products for Fortune 500 companies and promising startups. In this episode of Relevant Founders, we sat down with a familiar face, Matteo Grassi, CEO and founder of Popup. The last time we had Matteo on the show, we discussed Russia's war on Ukraine and how Matteo is rooting for Ukraine's victory and the Ukrainian tech industry's future. This time we're talking about all things Popup under a more cheerful pretext. Popup is the first no-code commerce platform that allows organizations to visually control the customer's journey. This episode will discuss the following topics. The original Popup MVP and the difficulties that came with it. No-code solutions explained, their benefits and a discussion on its alleged shortcomings, e-commerce's benefits and drawbacks, social media engagement and Matteo's approach to team management, and the future trends in the e-commerce and no-solutions marketplace. This and so much more. So, Matteo, good to see you. Um, been quite a few months, I think, maybe two months since we last spoke. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's nice to see you again. Likewise, likewise. Now, obviously, our conversation today is going to be much different compared to our last one where everything was about Ukraine uh, last time. Today, I want to concentrate more about uh, on your journey and your journey with Pop-Up. So just for our listeners, if you can introduce Pop-Up for me and give us like a crash course of what sets your Pop-Up apart from, um, apart from all of the competition out there. So I think uh, if anyone of you out there has ever played with Lego, um, it's probably that's that's the best analogy that I can offer. Um, I think we realized that uh, all the platforms out there, uh, they they were using a very rigid approach mm-hmm. um, in the way they were built, on so the way you build upon. And um, one day I was playing with my daughter and she was playing with Lego and I realized that I would used to play with Lego and you know my, my mom used to play with Lego and my daughter now is playing with Lego. And I realized that actually... The, the modularity of Lego and the flexibility and the fact that you have these building blocks that so you can actually build anything. You can actually build very complex things. So you can build very simple things um, and you can just let your imagination go wild and uh, build whatever you want. And this is actually the issue that we had when we were running our own e-commerce store. So before actually running Papa, we had uh, seven different e-commerce brands and most of them were on Shopify. And we were running a very successful business, but the, this very rigid approach as it wouldn't allow us to grow without uh, increasing complexity. Mm-hmm. And so when we decided to build Papa, we came up with this type of, uh, let's say, building blocks approach where we give you the fundamental building blocks and then you can build whatever you want. So if you are an enterprise merchant or if you have a very complex setup and you want to build a very, let's say, complex and you know uh, calculated customer journey, you can do that with Papa. But if you're a creator, you just want a page and a checkout because you want to sell a course, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can use it in conjunction with your current e-commerce platform, or you can use it as a standalone e-commerce e-commerce platform. Mm-hmm. Was Matteo was um, the idea of pop-up? Was it? Did it come about before? Obviously, this moment when you were playing Lego uh, with your daughter. Did you ever think about it before this moment, or was it literally like the light bulb moment when you were playing? I think it was uh, uh, it was the three of us. You know, we're three co-founders, and uh, at the time we were running uh, uh, Visora Group, which is the direct consumer um, brand, e-commerce mm-hmm. brands. We have seven different brands and we were running them, create them, market them. So we were not an agency. We actually own the brands and we still do. And we were always discussing about why things are so complex, why things, why things have to be so complicated and so difficult. And we always find it very hard to adapt to the ever-changing e-commerce uh, markets because 
society is evolving and the way we shop online is evolving. And at the same time, e-commerce platforms are trying to evolve along with society. I'll give an example. It's, I don't know, uh, TikTok, TikTok came to be three or four years ago, and that opened up a completely new possibility to do uh, ads on TikTok. Mm-hmm. At the same time, iOS 14 crushed uh, Facebook advertising, and now we're trying to find different ways to acquire traffic. So when you're trying to find different way of, a try- of acquiring traffic, you also have to give a different, uh, um, let's say, post-click experience. At the same time as well, cross-border commerce is becoming the norm, which means that you, you, you have to sell in different countries, in different currencies to stay above the, um, the market and to actually be competitive. And so everything that is out there, especially Shopify, which is to me is still the best platform that is out there, is, is based on a blueprint that has not changed since the 90s. And every time you're trying to move away from this blueprint, and a blueprint is a homepage, a product page, a cart, and a checkout, you basically start using an array of apps and you start hacking things together. Mm-hmm. And this is where basically the idea came to be. And I was playing with, you know, with my daughter with Lego. And at the same time, I had a discussion with, with, with my co-founder and say, hey, do you, have you ever played with Lego? And, and he was like, actually, yeah, we were in a Lego store last week. And they were telling me that they saw these headlines saying, turn your passions into possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, I think what we were discussing at the time, is there a better way to do things? And we were testing different e-commerce platforms because we thought that we were, I think we were maybe a little bit biased against Shopify because we worked in Shopify for so long. So we were like, maybe it's because we worked in Shopify and we just use Shopify, maybe there is something better out there. And we tested everything and there was nothing better. So we were in that phase that we kind of finished the testing. We were back on square one. And then we were having the discussion about, uh, about Lego. Um, and, um, and that's where we started thinking about these building blocks mm-hmm. and how we can create something by using these fundamental building blocks. And this is what mm-hmm. we did. So we, we moved away from the blueprint. So it's not a homepage, a product page, a cart, and a checkout. I mean, you have homepages, product pages, cart, and a checkout, but you can actually arrange the elements into a journey builder, which is basically like a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And then you place the elements next to each other. You connect them. You can put actions as well in the background and you basically create a customer journey. So instead of just creating an online store, you create a shopping experience. Mm-hmm. And for a creator, I don't know, a creator can have like a link in bio, going into a product page, going to a checkout and going to an upsell and going into uh, an order confirmation page. A general store will have like a homepage style of page with a few different products going into a maybe upsell again and maybe into a card. Some mm-hmm. people would just need one product and one checkout. I mean, most of the creators that I speak to, they just sell a book. They don't need a full-on Shopify store. They just need the product page and a checkout, mm-hmm. nothing more. Mm-hmm. But you cannot do this with Shopify, right? Mm-hmm. Shopify forces you to subscribe to their blueprint. So if you just want a product page and a checkout, you still have to create a full-fledged store on Shopify. You just can't have a product page and a checkout. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of started to kind of thinking about this and that's where the product came to be. So this, is, this idea of obviously the 90s when they created this kind of blueprint, is that been something that has held you back or has it been something that you've been able to build upon in order to make life much easier yeah so i think it's like when when shopify came out and it was out 14 14 15 years ago uh toby wanted to build um his own i think it was not skateboarding it was a snowboard sorry it was mm-hmm. snowboard snow devil that was the first store that he wanted to build he didn't want to build an e-commerce platform he was just trying to solve a problem for himself mm-hmm. and at the time snow devil was built upon yahoo store yahoo store was the first right first uh, uh, e-commerce platform that you can build upon but you still need to be a developer you still need the resources so i think toby was trying to say what if we can make things easier for anyone to start an online store and that's what they did and they did amazing on that but the issue is like e-commerce is not like it was 16 years ago 16 years ago now everyone is online and the market is becoming competitive so having an e-commerce store like 
you know, we had 16 years ago is not enough. Mm-hmm. You need more. I mean, there is new ways of selling online. There is live streaming. There is, uh, uh, you know, linking bios as well, connected to checkouts. Uh, there is four or five different acquisition traffic, and they're just increasing. There is Facebook, there is TikTok, there is Google. Now, probably Netflix is going to explore as well uh, advertising in the future. In-app as well. In-app, uh, um, in-app uh, advertising as well is coming up. Virtual shopping is coming up. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's the new ways of selling online that are really, really uh, changing every day and they're evolving. But the platform and the blueprint has not changed. Mm-hmm. It's stayed the same. Interesting. Really got that idea of a Lego then, yeah? You know, the building blocks, building on top of it from there. Um, okay, interesting. Tell me, Matteo, tell me a little bit, uh, let's start right from the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your original MVP. How did you approach it? Yeah, so we bootstrapped uh, pop-up at the very beginning. So to be honest, we started building it for ourselves. So we were like, let's try to build. If we had to build something like we wanted, what, what would it be? What did it look like? So we, we kind of looked at the current setup that we had and we tried to make it as simple as, and simple as possible, no code. So we had a very complex setup that was managed by various people and were using four or five different apps to achieve what we were trying to achieve. And it wasn't nothing crazy. Literally, we had like, we were selling in multiple countries. We had like 10 to 15 products per store. So we didn't have a huge amount of SKUs. But then we were running ads in four or five different uh, um, acquisition channels. So we had to have like, we have different landing pages. We have different experiences for our customer. We were doing influencer collaborations. And for each one of these uh, activities or ideas that we had, we had to use an app. Or maybe we had some hack some things together. I think at one time we were actually hacking click funnels on top of Shopify just because we wanted to create like a lead, lead capture going into a product page, going into a checkout, like something super simple. Mm. It was, I think it was a use case. It's like, hey, what about we collect some information from the customers and after that we send them a free ebook and after that we show them a product. That was, that's what we wanted to do. And to do that, we had to use ClickFunnels, hacking on top of Shopify and then using an email marketing tool. So we started to start taking all these use cases and also I was working in Shopify. My business partner, Corey, was just working for Shopify. Kate as well used to work in Shopify. And we all both worked in a support role or uh, in an advisory role. So myself and Corey were working with the Shopify Plus. He was uh, a launch engineer as well. So he was working with large merchants. I was working with international team. Kate was uh, working with support as well. So running like the more low, low level, let's say merchants, like the one that don't process a lot of money. So we had all this baggage of stories, experiences, use cases that we heard from problems that we try to solve for others and problems that we try to solve for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We really took all of that and just say, okay, let's try to solve this problem in the easiest possible way. And that's mm-hmm. what we did. Yeah, very, very interesting. So when did the point, or, well, have you since that point, obviously, have you, at the beginning, was very much concentrated on you guys, bootstrapping it all, uh, working on it, probably pulling from all corners of, of basically, of the abil- your abilities and uh, to be able to fulfill every task. When did it come or has it ever come to the point where you started outsourcing some kind of um, software developers to help you? Yeah, so we closed the funding round in November. So we bootstrapped the platform for about six months before that. And, um, and that was, uh, yeah, that was the time that we actually started to kind of realize before November, we started to realize that this, this was not going to be a platform where we can launch an MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no MVP. Basically. There was no MVP. Is either a full structural product or nothing because mm-hmm. a merchant that process a thousand dollars a year is the same type of setup that a merchant that process 10 million a year, exactly the same. 
not, not, it, it doesn't change. So we realized that it wasn't the size of the merchants, it was really come down to integrations and features and basic features. So order management, fulfillment management, tax management, uh, API integrations with third party, all of this, if you're making 100 orders a month or if you're making 20,000 orders a month, it's actually the same thing. I run small stores, I run big stores, same store, same store, same setup. Mm. So for us, it's always Once been it's like- isn't it? Volume of what you're getting. Yeah, so, so we never went the route of actually hiring an agency or outsourcing we started to hire internally uh -huh. and it comes with you know and i don't think there is a there is a right or wrong here i think it's like it really depends on your business it really depends on on uh, on what stage of your business are and what you're trying to build i think we are probably one of the most ambitious pre-seed projects in the world right now i'm not I'm not trying to exaggerate it it's just like if you look at how many times an e-commerce platform came out that's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, just literally just Shopify. Shopify is the only e-commerce platform out there. Wix, Squarespace are web builders with e-commerce functionality. But if you're just looking at commerce first, there's nothing. Why and is the reason that? is because it's because it's so complex. Mm -hmm. It's really, really like you need to have worked in an e-commerce platform before. So could you basically Shopify? Mm -hmm. You need to have run your own store yourself. So you know the ins and out of all the commerce. And also the other thing is like we're building something that has never been done before. Like the 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 journey builder, this particular framework where you're using these e-commerce building blocks to create this customer journey. This is an approach that has never been done before. So you're building things that have never been done before, which, and also you are also building a very complex backend as well, because we're not sitting on top of other e-commerce platform. You have to build the CRM or mm -hmm. the management, fulfillment management, payments, eventually taxes. And then you have all the API platform integration, which is not something that you can delay because as I was saying to you, it's not really an MVP. Mm -hmm. That's why we, it was like a lot, a lot to build. Mm -hmm. And for us, it didn't make sense hiring an agency because we knew that we were trying to build a team thinking about two years ahead or three years ahead. So with an agency, we knew that it was like a bandaid, but then eventually in the future, it was going to bite us in, in, in the butt, you know? So saying obviously that you're the only one out there, does that mean there is space for competitors, for your competitors, or does that mean that it will be the market will be too crowded? There's only place for one top dog. Yeah, I think in terms of competition, we have no direct competitors. In terms of like, there's no platform out there that does what we do. Mm -hmm. um, we build pop up in a way that can be used in conjunction with your current e-commerce platform, just like a pop up store, mm -hmm. and or you can use it as a standalone store. So in terms of competition someone need like to create something like this from scratch it, it is a very ambitious project so i think a lot of people are waiting in the sideline to see if we're gonna fail mm -hmm. <laughs> if we prove the concept and people are gonna be like, oh my god i really like this new way of doing commerce or i really like this idea of creating my own customer journeys or uh, to actually have a platform that is more flexible that adapts with you if we prove this concept then eventually i think in two years or one or two years you're gonna start start having people trying to copy you yeah mm -hmm. someone like shopify or anyone else out there they will never be able to change their current structure they'll either build something from scratch and create like shopify pop-up mm -hmm. or they don't <laughs> it's like they cannot change their current architecture because mm -hmm. it's it's the fundamental structure that is different it's not just like the front end or something like this it's, it's actually the way you build the stores very interesting there. so by the time people have obviously spent enough time observing uh, you what you're doing to see if it's going to work you're going to be so far ahead from obviously all the other competition that they're not really going to be able to catch up as well tell me Obviously, um, I remember from our last conversation, we were obviously talking about Ukraine and um, you have uh, an engineer. Um, I think there's an engineer in Ukraine. Um, obviously, it was, I think they were close to the kind of the border, the Kharkiv region. Um, tell me, is Ukraine one of those places that 
you want to continue and will go to? Um, or is there some kind of other appearing um, market, other countries that you would like to outsource from from now? Yeah, so I think for us, this is what the, the challenge as well that um, not we've been facing right now, but it's, it's the strategy behind, behind growth and hiring. Because there's 25 people now. Um, it's, it's trying to keep people in the similar time zone. Um, so mm -hmm. when we started Pop-Up, we were very lucky to have three amazing engineers from India that uh, left one of another e-commerce, more like it was an enterprise e-commerce uh, solution mm -hmm. to join us. So we were very lucky to find amazing talent in India that knew exactly what we were doing to mm -hmm. actually have commerce knowledge, which is the hardest thing because you need to have e-commerce knowledge to actually to be able to build an e-commerce platform. We, we noticed that. Running straight away. And so for us, we started to kind of get engineers maybe in the US and we started to actually to be able even to afford engineering in the US, but then it didn't make sense because the, the Indian team started to have his own, his own offsite, his own, his own kind of more like relationship within, right? And, mm -hmm. and it kind of made sense to keep on hiring in India on an engineering level. Um, while I'm looking heavily to Ukraine for marketing, because Daria has obviously joined the marketing team. Um, we've been interviewing as well another, uh, another person from Ukraine for the copywriting team. Uh -huh. um, and I, I'm, I'm looking at Ukraine for marketing, marketing talent, mm -hmm. social media, uh, designers, uh, video editors, and things like that. How come? Yeah. Why Ukraine for that part? Yeah, because I think it's like the, the, there is just amazing talent in Ukraine. Um, and uh, amazing talent at an affordable price. I mean, I'm not not shy to say it. I mean, we're, we're trying we, we try to we, we pay people i guess way more than a let's say an average salary in ukraine mm -hmm. obviously we pay them with like a more european salary but it's nothing comparable to like a us mm -hmm. you know us salary mm -hmm. and i guess and this is got the time zone as you were saying as well you've got obviously if you're working with india ukraine and you're in ireland i think aren't you so it's yeah i'm in ireland it's basically there is india dubai India, Dubai, Ukraine, India, Dubai, Ukraine, Portugal, mm -hmm. and London, Ireland. That's kind of the four time zones. So Ukraine is good because it's kind of sits in the middle between the engineering team and, and, you know, and, and us as well. Mm -hmm. But it's also for me, I want to go back to Ukraine. I mean, I'm, I'm coming, as I was telling you before, I'm com we're coming in two weeks. Uh, I want to kind of settle over there a little bit more. So for me, having a, a team where I can actually meet as well, because, I mean, we're fully distributed. I love the distributed culture, the opportunity that it opens, but I actually like hanging out with people mm -hmm. <laughs> and so for me having like a, a content team over there especially content co content team that's what i'm more looking at and have um, you the idea i remember you saying about an office opening up an office in yeah India. Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's like we're looking into more for our other company visor group which uh, they've been pivoting more into uh, brand management and agencies and uh, the idea actually is to starting like an app development agency in ukraine mm -hmm. for a uh, pop-up so not to actually run by pop-up, but Vicero is going to be his own company, but they can actually build apps for pop-up. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's very similar to what, uh, for instance, Shopify did with Bolt. So when Shopify launched, Bolt uh, were able to uh, build the essential app that Shopify needed at the time, mm -hmm. and they just didn't have the time to build it. Like, I think they built like a shipping app and a bundle app and, you know, this type of add-ons. Uh, and then eventually Shopify bought Bolt. So what we thought about it. it was like why viceroy doesn't actually start something like this and they can build apps for for pop-up but they can actually build it for someone else too yeah. mm -hmm. um kind of makes sense it kind of stays in the family and at the same time it's kind of a win situation and we're thinking actually ukraine and setting up setting up a, a team over there to build apps 
Uh-huh. Okay, nice. Very nice. So actually, your plans haven't really changed at all since I last spoke to you a couple of months ago um, at the start of the war, which is nice to hear. Um, uh, Mateo, let's talk a little bit more about uh, no commerce and uh, no code solutions as well. So um, what I want you to do, basically, just for our audience as well, most of them know, but I like this kind of approach of explain it to me like I'm five. Yeah, explain it to me like sure, I'm yeah. five. What is no code solution? Yeah, no code solutions are solutions where you don't have to know how to code of in any language, mm-hmm. like HTML, CS, CSS, or whatever it is. And you can actually build a store, front-end and back-end, without having, having zero knowledge of coding or mm-hmm. you know, writing in code, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And obviously, so with uh, no-code solutions, there's, there's many pros, there's many cons. Um, let's start, obviously, with the cons. You've got some kind of, there's a limitation in customizing applications and no-code platforms. There's some kind of uh, issues with security, security issues taking birth, um, if there's a lack of control. Um, what do you say to those disadvantages? Are there more advantages that outweigh those? Can you counteract those? I think it I think it depends who you are. I think on the stage of uh, your e-commerce journey or as a business. I think is that's usually where you start to looking at uh, code, code solutions. Mm-hmm. But with code comes as well expenses, months expenses to maintain it and changing anything. So and also flexibility comes at a cost. So actually that's what we're trying to tackle with pop-up. So pop-up mm-hmm. is a no-code solution, but the code is open. So if you can build upon it, you can you know build your own things if you want. If you're a developer, you can do whatever you want with it. You can even use, you know, pop-up API. It's an API first as well. You can actually even use it almost like in a headless headless solution uh-huh. if you want in the future. But the, the issue with no code is it comes at, at a stage where you are making enough money and you want really something more that you cannot obtain with any solution that is out there. Uh-huh. And this is where you start looking at, at uh, customizing, customizing things. But we try to do that with pop-up as well to maintain the no code to... As far as as far as as far away as possible, mm-hmm. along the merchant journey, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing, for instance, that we did, it's uh, give you a quick example of no code versus code. When you when you start an e-commerce store on Shopify, you you have to pick a theme, right? And a theme has an array of sections. So you have a section is like a header, product product feature, reviews feature, banners, whatever, right? This is like I don't know. There is probably a hundred hundred fifty sections in the whole Shopify themes. Mm-hmm. You buy this theme. And usually what people do, they like 60 to 70% of the section in the team. And then there is always a part of the section that they don't like on the one changed. So in that particular case, you need to hire a developer. So your no-code solution became suddenly a code solution mm-hmm. because you want flexibility. Mm-hmm. So f- when we start thinking about pop-up, we are like, why don't we work, stop working with the theme architecture, but we work with section architecture. So it's a section architecture where you have a library of section that you can pick and choose whatever you want, and then you arrange them together and then you apply a style into the section. So if you want to pick a header, you pick a header. If you want to pick product section, you pick a product section, and then you can choose between different product sections mm-hmm. without being you know, confined by a pre-made fixed assembly of section, which is basically a theme. So in this way, we can push the no code further along the, the journey of the user, mm-hmm. because if he doesn't like a section, we, if he doesn't like a section, there's probably going to be in the section library a, a section that he can take and, and substitute to the section that he doesn't like instead of calling a developer and say, hey, can you change the section for me?
Um, let's talk a little bit about team management. This is something that is really interesting for me um, with your approach to uh, management and um, basically founding your company. So uh, I follow you obviously on LinkedIn. Um, I see a lot of your LinkedIn posts and you are very, very active on LinkedIn. Um, tell me how you use LinkedIn to, to manage your team, not managing to the side of obviously you're telling them what to do here, but to me, it seems you use LinkedIn to motivate and inspire people and your staff. Is that correct? And how and why? Yeah, because I think I think culture in a company is not something that we write in a culture book and then get distributed between the members of the team, mm -hmm. between the team and the members. I think you come up with the values and your mission for your company, and then you leave them out in the world every day. And then the people see that and they follow you. Because to me, you are a leader as long as people are following you. Absolutely. So for me, if I'm on LinkedIn in front of the world, showing the values that my company represents, then the people that work with me, they see that and they see that I'm actually talking about it and I'm open about it and I'm actually doing as well something about it with actions. Not just say, hey, our company wants uh, this flexible approach and we believe that everyone should be equal and we believe in diversity and all of that. I mean, yeah, I can say that. I can, I can write it down and everyone reads, but no one cares at mm -hmm. the end of the day. If you don't do it, if you don't actually out there and actually you know, speaking against things that are going against your value and speaking in favor of what your values represent, then people will not, uh, will not follow you mm -hmm. because they don't see where you're going. Mm -hmm. So I think to answer your question, it's like using LinkedIn to make sure that you live your values every day in the world. So the people that work with you, they follow you and they see where you're going and they see what you believe in. I think that's, that's a very good way to show the world and your staff mm -hmm. um, what, what, you're, what you're about. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, what I like most, obviously, um, in your post as well, is the personality behind it. With the, you're not just there to show you everything's great. Yeah, you're there to show you know. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's difficult sometimes. Um, there was the last one where you were talking about parenting and um, parenting and being uh, like <laughs> I don't a, like parenting. <laughs> I know, right? I think, I think is, I think is, I think the issue that I have sometimes, and I, I was having a discussion the other day with someone is. Um, I do believe social media is bad. I do believe like, I, I actually see myself, I, I go on LinkedIn and I start to scroll down and I suddenly like after five minutes, I don't feel good about myself. Uh -huh. I, think, I think it's very hard to escape social comparison. And you see all these happy people and people have everything figured it out. And it seems that everyone is crushing it. Everyone's an amazing parent. And I don't know, I, I, I don't hold against people that do that because sometimes I'm sure people see myself and they feel like, I have everything figured out too. And I have no solution to this because it's like, should I just post about the best shit? Not really. It becomes like kind of this negative poll. But like, look at this guy just posting about how, you know, sucky life is. And then you can't post about just happy stuff because it's like, hey, look at these happy guys. It's like, what about me? I'm suffering. So I don't actually have the solution besides telling people don't spend too much time on social media. That goes against what I'm trying to say because obviously I'm using social media. But, um, but I do think that... Uh, I don't know if we can escape to show social comparison. So for my post, what I'm trying to do, I try to give actionable insights. Try, try to be as honest as I can. Try not to flash things out too much, which I could, I, I could, and I don't understand why people do. So for instance, if you have a Ferrari or you bought a new car or you bought a new boat, you want to show it off in social media because you want to show off your success. I don't think it's bad necessarily, but be mindful that that post is going to make other people feel not great about themselves. Mm -hmm. So my question is like, why do you do it? Do you do it for a reason? Are you trying to help people or you're just trying to get followers and engagement? Because mm -hmm. if you're trying to just get followers and engagement, you're using 
some success in your life, which is, is done by hard work. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you shouldn't show success, but you're using success to get followers engagement, which is something that you just benefit, you know, but on the other side, you know that you're going to make a lot of people feel suffer. Maybe more people are going to feel envious and they're going to suffer rather than people feeling like, oh yeah, well done. Because the people well done are the people that are as good, as happy as you, or maybe they have a boat as well or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Everyone else, which is like most people, they are really trying to really go in paycheck to paycheck. Forget about, you know, working five hours a day. Most people I know work very hard and don't make no money. Um, okay, tell me, that leads me on to my next one with you. So tell me about your leadership style. Yeah, so I believe that, I don't know, I think it's like, how can I start? I, I just feel that being a leader is like being a parent, which is fine because I don't like parenting that much. <laughs> but I think, I think it's like, I never felt that my daughter is a, I never felt that I am, I own my daughter or mm-hmm. I am the person that she needs to listen to because I'm the father and I make the rules and I'm in a position where I'm smarter than her or I have more responsibility or whatever it is. Right? I always felt that my daughter is her own person and I'm here to support her as a tutor, to help her out, to grow up, to be the person that she wants to be and the person that she's going to be, which is completely independent from, from me. I'm going, it's, it's going to be affected by my parenting, obviously, and the way I, I help her out, but she's very much her own, her own individual. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if she falls, I always, you know, she has to pick her up on her own. I can, I can tell her how to do it, but I always try to have this type of parenting. And I think leadership is not far off from that. I don't believe in this structured approach where you have, you know, these pyramid things where you have like you have the boss and then you have people that work for you. I even I even force myself to say, you don't work for me, you work with me. It's not, we're not, there's no pyramid thing here. It's like we are on the same level. And I try to put the people at the forefront of their, of their projects, try to give them as much as um, autonomy they have. Mm-hmm. The issue of giving people autonomy is that with autonomy and responsibility comes as well great uh, stress and great uh, possibility to burn out, especially if you are in people that are putting their heart into what they're doing. So I think the job of the leader is making sure that they feel supported by doing their job. So they're actually able to, you know, champion the people, right? So you have to be able to support them as much as you can. They're going to bring the result. They're going to be fulfilled because they are, they're going to be the forefront on the project. And I'm on the side kind of making sure that if they need help, I'm there for them. At the same time, as I was saying before, making sure that they see where the company is going, where the vision is going. And I can do this by being active of LinkedIn or into podcasts like this. And, and um, especially in a remote company, because once you're in the office, let's say you have a hundred people in an office, I come into the office, people see my energy, they see what I'm doing. They feel the, the, the leadership energy around them. But when you are remote, mm-hmm. they need to see that without being in the same, same office. So that's why I think LinkedIn and social media help to accomplish this. Uh, with the with the distributed team. Um, that leads me on to um, we're going to go back slightly to uh, staffing and engineers here. So, um, what do you search for when you look? Obviously, you said what who you are and what your kind of um, leadership um, behavioral patterns would be. What do you search for when you're looking for? Let's say when you're looking for an engineer, when you're looking for someone to join your team, what do you search for? I think is uh, the first thing is like the it needs to be a good culture fit, you know. That's that's the first thing because you can be the most amazing engineers in the world or the most amazing marketer, but if you are not, if you don't have 
the same values that the company has, mm-hmm. then you, we know we're, you're, we're setting you up for failure. Mm-hmm. And your values that, as a company are? I mean, I think the big thing on hiring, especially, is uh, is having is not having an ego. I think the ego ego plays a big role. So this is like there is very much a sports team mentality, right? This is like we're just talking about the hiring, like and how values plays with uh, with the hiring. I think it's not a family mentality or a family type of business. Mm-hmm. It's more like a sports team, mm-hmm. and we make sure that people understand this from day one when they come in, which means that everyone is replaceable. Sorry to say, but you do. It's like you're part of a team and you have to do your part. And uh, and it's going to be people that are at the forefront of uh, this going to be the, the all-stars that are we have to push because they have skills that are very unique. And then there is everyone else. But we are bringing the results together mm-hmm. as a team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. Uh, and I think people need to need to understand this. Right now, uh, well, last time I checked, you have a few uh, open vacancies uh, at Popup. You've got, um, I think there was a, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but you had two vacancies available. What do you do and how do you find your tech talent at the moment? Because obviously it's so difficult to find the talent in a saturated market. What are you doing to find the talent you want, the talent that wants you, and also, you know, that, that culture fit as well, which is a whole different part. What do you do for that? Yeah, so for marketing is a little bit easier because uh, we don't first we don't need to grow the team as much as we and the engineering right because we're very much in the product phase right now. Mm-hmm. So for marketing, I honestly just push people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just go to like people that I know from working for other company. Maybe I follow them on LinkedIn and I see what they did before. That so I can understand like if they work with this company, there's a very similar culture to us, and this is the result that they brought in. It's a kind of a slam dunk, and this is actually how I found uh, Daria. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because she was working for Lemlist and I follow Lemlist and I think they did amazing things. And uh, she was, she left Lemlist. And as soon as she posted that she was leaving Lemlist, I, I sent her a text and say, hey, can we have a chat? Mm-hmm. For engineering, we're using, we, we started to, we were looking for engineering ourselves and it was very too hard. So we hired two recruiters. So we actually had two full-time recruiters and we actually hired a new recruiter as well uh, in India. So there are two, three Indian recruiters recruiting Indian um engineers interesting mm. and that's yeah, so they it, understand it, it better or yeah yeah they understand better they understand the it's, it's much easier to find them they know the market they play in their own field right mm-hmm. um so they understand culture because culture fit it's all well and good when you say culture fit but in uh, pop-up we have muslims we have atheists we have mormons we have <laughs> catholics <laughs> Uh, we have people from Lebanon, from India, like religions. We have probably every religion, that, as I said. And then we have people from, you know, Canada, UK, uh, Emirates, Lebanon, Ukraine. It's so it's like culture is it's it's tough because you you have a company culture, but then how does the company culture fits within you know the belief system, for instance, that someone uh, that is Muslim has, because it's you know religion and the way people interact with each other is really really connected absolutely so yeah so i think it's like that's that's the best not the challenge but it's something that definitely we we are heavily looking into how how you know our company culture and our values interact with with uh, the the belief system of the people that work with us mm. let's talk a little bit about that that's really interesting here so i think you said earlier you've got 35 of you now at pop up yeah 35 people 25 uh, yeah 25 25 
25, yes. 25. Obviously, there's quite a lot of people now and um, obviously different cultures, different beliefs, different um, different languages as well. Obviously, I'm imagining they all speak English. Um, how do you, on a kind of a global level then, okay, how do you on a global level keep this team together? How do you manage a global team? What do you do for that? I think uh, the, the, on a practical level, hiring in time zones, that are similar to each other, it's, it's really, really important because mm -hmm. when we didn't do that and we were like, oh yeah, it's gonna be okay. He's in Los Angeles or he's in <laughs> Pacific time. We'll find a way. It's not true, you don't find a way. You know, it's, it's really, really hard because it means that one person needs to wake up at a crazy time or one person needs to work at a, at a you know, in the middle of the night. Like for me, if I'm dealing with people in Ukraine, that means that when I wake up at like 8 a.m. is already 10 a.m. for them. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, at my 4 p.m., if I work with someone in Vancouver, for instance, or you know, in Los Angeles, my 4 p.m. is is there 8 a.m., mm -hmm. which means if we have to have a call, I need to stay up until 8 p.m. So what I, what happens? I end up working from 8 a.m. till like midnight. So do you think and then that, you kind of that cycle of because I've heard quite a few times about like the cycle of when you've got people situated all around the world, you've got that cycle for for example, someone in Dubai wakes up, they do the work, and then someone in Ukraine's waking up, someone's in Europe's waking up, and then in America. And it could work. Does that not work? Is that kind of a, a, a myth belief? No, I think I think it works, but it needs to be like a like a three, four hours time zone difference. Once you start to get like eight hours and you know my 8 a.m. is your 4 p.m. is very hard because at least mm -hmm. we don't expect people to work together side by side in calls for eight hours a day. But you need to have that block where we're all happy. It's maybe your late afternoon, maybe it's my 12 o'clock and maybe it's your 2 p.m., right? So everyone is kind of happy. No one needs to wake up too early. No one needs to work uh, too late. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think those from India to Ireland, which is got that five hours and that time zone in the middle, that's basically where we're operating. Mm -hmm. uh, we found an amazing person in uh, LA the other day and uh, we, we said no because we knew that we were going to set them up for, for failure already, you know? So, so that's, that's one thing. And then we try to structure meetings uh, just at three days a week. So there's two blocks where we don't have meetings, which I think is Tuesday and Thursday. And then uh, in terms of tooling, we use a fellow for meetings, which means that every meeting has an agenda. Okay. If there's no agenda, the meeting is automatically gone. There's, there's no point basically having a meeting for the sake of every meeting. Mm -hmm. And we find fellow very good. It integrates with your, um, with your Google Calendar and you can basically set up a list and there is amazing templates. Although... We use a very, very simple. It's like we, there's a lot of like interesting templates that we use, like stand up and all of that. We, we use it in a much simpler way. And then um, I think by next year, we're going to try to have offsites. So where basically the marketing team is going to meet on their own and company-wide sites. Mm -hmm. That's the issue that we're going to face because obviously there's people in India, there's people in US and people in Europe. So when you have a company site, everyone's just flying from all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I think what we are looking into is like, we're going to have maybe one or two company-wide company -wide meetings and then off-sites that like just the marketing team. And this is why I was saying to you, I want the marketing team just to be maybe in Ukraine or maybe like around there. So if we have to do a meeting, it's, it's, it's very easy to organize. And the same thing for engineering. If they're all in India, they can just, you know, meet, meet, meet in India all together, right? Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about challenges uh, to pop up. Talk to me about what has been the most challenging technical moment to date? Yeah, I mean, I think Cory would be best on, on, on here, but I think it's, it's building things that was, is never built before. Uh -huh. That's a technical challenge because you have no baseline to base upon, right? You have to basically, 
you know, build something without having to use anything else as a reference, right? You are just building something new and uh, architecting something from scratch. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things. That that's, I think, yeah. yeah, I think that's a big technical challenge. And I think the other tech on a higher level. And then obviously is uh, building things today that you know that they have to still be relevant in two years time and making those decisions. So I'll give you an example. We could build a system that allows us to onboard merchants straight away that uh, want to do subscriptions. But in the moment we do that, we know that when we're launching our own uh, payment uh, solution, where subscription is embedded or is going to be part of our payment solution, then we have to take that, scratch it, and rebuild it from scratch. Mm -hmm. So the decision is like, okay, we cannot, let's not do this now. And let's wait to build our own payment solution. And once we build this, we build that too. So there's some decision that you have to make technical decision, knowing that thinking about two years in advance or a year or two years. Difficult. Otherwise you're just running into the issue of, you know, in two years time, you just have to scratch everything out and, uh, and, and, start, and start from zero. Okay, so thinking about that, obviously, uh, having to think about two, two years, let's say, ahead, what um, trends do you see emerging in the e-commerce no-code solutions over the next two years, which you are trying to get ahead and be ready for? Digital shopping, live streaming, crypto, crypto and NFTs. Mm -hmm. This is like the new way of selling online that are just starting out right now. Uh, but it, there's a lot of noise and there is a lot, you can see the potential of technology, but it's still very much in early, early stage mm -hmm. or for big brands like, um, Colourpop or Kylie, no, Kylie launched her virtual store. I think it spent like 250,000, I think a quarter million to launch yeah. her virtual experience store. Um, yeah. So obviously it worked for her. Uh, I'm, I would say in the next year or two, technology arrived to the point that anyone will be able to launch a virtual store. Uh, without spending 250,000, just uh, like a no-code, simple solution. This is where actually pop-up wants to come in because sending people to a journey that is made of pages or sending people to a journey that is made of virtual rooms where you go from room to room to room is actually the same thing. So live streaming is part of our uh, road bump as well. So because it's, an, it's a block, is what I was saying to like the building blocks, like live streaming is just a building block. Mm -hmm. So if you want like a product page going to a checkout and then say, if you spend more than $100, you go into a private live stream with me. If you spend less than $100, you go to a order confirmation page, you're going to be able to do the pop-up natively. So leveraging live streaming to enhance the shopping experience, leveraging virtual shopping to enhance the shopping experience by adding the live stream or the virtual shopping along the customer journey. That's basically what pop-up is about. So when we do pop-up is actually to answer this question, we don't know what the future of commerce is going to be. I don't know. I, I, I'm making assumptions here, but I really don't know. NFT might completely drop or virtual shopping might be something that it starts and then drops. The metaverse might flop as well. I, I have no idea. Or if Netflix is going to start uh, running advertising and then every streaming platform is going to run advertising. I have no idea. But what I know is that you need a solution that's going to adapt to the ever-changing e-commerce landscape, whatever this might be. And this is where the analogy of Lego came in because Lego is not only very flexible, but Lego is timeless. Mm -hmm. while certain toys like i don't know space invaders or transformers or whatever it is it's like they they, they were trending for a while and then they disappeared lego has mm -hmm. always been trending for mm -hmm. my mom for my daughter and for me because mm -hmm. it's so simple because he adapts to whatever new playing trend it is you, you build it and this is where i think pop-up 
completely. It's so true, isn't it? You've got all the, I don't know, the Power Rangers, all of these things that um, they're yeah. but Lego is one of those things that just doesn't die. What, um, okay, so with that in mind, obviously you're saying in, obviously in the next two years, internet is going to be more available for everyone. Everyone could build what they want, yeah, from the helps of e-commerce. Does that mean, for example, um, services of programmers, developers, engineers, outsourcing, these kind of people will be less and less needed? Do you see that then obviously going down, e-commerce going up, no code solutions? No, I think there's always going to be need for uh, for engineers. I think it's like it is it is the future. But I think in India as well, you get to they pay you now to be an engineer or something. I think I heard about this. I think I I, I have to look into it. But I think the the government gives you grants to become to become an engineer um, because there is a lack of mm -hmm. there is a lack of engineers. It's like there is supply and demand. Like technology and ideas are moving way too quickly. VCs are very well funded. Besides what people are saying now that the market is in downturn, it's true, but there is 250 billion in VC money right now that needs to be deployed, right? And where is it going to be deployed? In tech, because tech is the most scalable solution that we have. Yes. That tech is e-commerce or drive self-driving cars or self-driving drones or whatever technology we build. There is going to be need for engineers. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's it's not no code is it, it it tackles a portion of the market by democratizing technology, but you still need people to build that technology, and also you arrive to a point where you always need agency, you always need developers to stand out. So no code is not a forever solution; it's a starting point. Mm -hmm. It's along as I was saying before, it's, it's along the, the the merchants or the user journey. If we can. If we can extend that journey as long as much as we can, I think that's where no-code solutions come in. But I don't think is it's 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 a journey from end to end because we growth is gonna growth and 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 complexity is always gonna be an issue. Okay, um, one more question for you, and this one obviously a bit more uh, personal towards you and um, your um, accomplishments um, and for the future yeah so what i wanted to ask you is there was something i saw on instagram the other day where you're talking about um 2014 um in 2014 you ended up um, living with i don't know it was a group of people in a house yeah um oh yeah that's what that was yeah <laughs> uh -huh. and then you got to 2019 where you found the love of your life and you built the company that you wanted and took the revenue sky high um what would be that bit of advice you would you wish someone had given you let's say when was that 2014 uh, let's say 10 years ago what would be that advice that you would um wish you received so 20, 10 years ago I was 20 i was 29 10 years ago i was 29 oh yeah what's a bit of advice in what sense though in like my private life or my yeah, business life a business to make your business work obviously 2014 was your let's say your lower point 2019 you just oh yes um I think just be confident, be confident in, in yourself and don't think that other people know more than you just because on the outside, it just looks like I have everything figured out or they're making more money. Mm -hmm. I always use money as a measure of success. That was my big mistake. So when I saw someone that was making some money and maybe were flashing some money, some, some, most of the time probably they didn't have that much money. They just had a lot of debt. I always thought this person knows more than me just because they made more money. Little did I know that they didn't. They were just lucky. Because luck is luck. I mean, honestly, I just met people that were lucky. I met people that had no idea what they were doing and they made quite a bit of money 
they weren't able to keep them and 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 their journey now is gone like most of them they're gone or they they're not doing you know i i really move 10 times further along my business journey than they ever will but at the time i thought oh my god look at these guys you know they they made some money they obviously know more than i do uh you know maybe i should listen to them maybe i should go to business with them and then listen to them right mm -hmm. uh, and whenever i thought this is wrong or this is not the direction that is right and they would say no i'm right i would say okay maybe they know more than me because because they made some money mm -hmm. in reality they, they were just being lucky they so were at the right time maybe right place. The right product. yeah so right place right time yeah. absolutely last question on that then and then i'll let you go because i know i've taken a lot of your time so right place right time how do, uh, is luck the secret to success when the founders are building their business then is it more luck is it um is it hard work is it a mix of the two or is it really weighted more towards luck no i don't think i don't think it's luck i think honestly i i do feel myself i i also change my perspective a lot and i do feel myself lucky just to live in a country that has a democracy and there's no war mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, mm -hmm. yeah that's 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 the starting point that we give you know, for, for us, it's just like, yeah, I mean, I'm not lucky. I mean, it's like, it's so hard. And, and then you're looking around, it's like, well, I mean, I live in a democratic country, there's no war, you know, I have support from my government and I can get a job anywhere. I mean, that's already, to me, just, you're already lucky just as a starting point, comparing to, you know, 70 to 80% of the world from someone like in Ukraine or in Brazil or anywhere that is actually struggling with the day-to-day -day and they want to start a business. I think it's not luck. I think luck is, is, a, is a big part of, of giving you the ability to not go through so much of, like, I guess, hardship or failures, right? So an example is Ben Francis from Gymshark, right? He was very mm -hmm. lucky. I mean, he had a good idea, good business, right right time where all the influencers were, you know, uh, the whole influencer marketing really just started to to flourish. And and that's it. He built, like, first business he did. It, it was right. He just got it right. And now it's a billion-dollar company. But he was also smart enough to take a step back and realizing putting his ego aside and say okay i'm, I'm just going to move aside now i'm going to get a ceo in and i'm going to let people know what they're doing to run the business and that's what it is and now he stepped back as a ceo after i think six seven years mm -hmm. that was a very very smart move i think it's consistency and i think is having the motivation to move towards what you want and and this is something that i and i have and i see a lot of people some people don't have when i put my head into something i just go for it I just go for it. I don't, and there's nothing that happens that will put me back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as a blessing, it's curse sometimes, but mm -hmm. but uh, but I think it's not for some people. It's not natural. I mean, I know I am probably programmed a little bit different. I think is, but I think entrepreneurs have this, and they have optimi their optimists because you cannot be you cannot be a pessimist if you are an entrepreneur. I think I always hope for the best. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the advice that I give to people is trying to find the try to find the thing that really motivates you. And it's not something that can be accomplished because the moment you accomplish something, then you're no longer motivated by anything. So for me, it was I want to make money. I always thought that. Like I don't come from a rich family. Okay. I went through struggle, you know, as a mm -hmm. as a kid. So I always thought money equals success. Money equals uh, I. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy. Right. Because my parents were not happy because I thought they didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't true. We weren't happy for other reasons, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think that that's, that was my mistake. So I always chased that and I constantly found, you know, that I wasn't satisfied. So I think it's like, if you can find the thing that motivates you, then you're going to go for it. And dancing up doesn't matter what happens in your life. You're, you're eventually going to get there.
So, you know, having those goals that you can reach and actually mark and um, mark down and say, okay, how can you say, oh, I want money? How much money do you want? No, you need more kind of concrete goals, which you can see, which you can yeah, achieve. Yeah, what do you love to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for me, it was helping people. Mm-hmm. Helping people. That's as, as simple as that. I realized that I wanted to help people. So when when I started to do projects in, before Papa, when we started to do projects in, um, in Viceroy and we started to do uh, supplements that, uh, and I was getting feedback from clients saying, I'm sleeping better, uh, I'm with more energy. That was, I was like, oh my God, like, I want to sell more. I want to sell more. I want to sell more. Not because I wanted to make more money, just because I wanted to have more people. I want to have more feedback. I wanted to help more people. And this is where Pop-Up came in. It was like, we can actually help everyone that is struggling like us to be more successful online and be a great entrepreneur without having all the stress and all the headaches and we can help people again. So for me, it's always been helping people. Obviously, put yourself in a position financially that you don't have to struggle because if you're struggling then you're stressed but so i'm not saying that money doesn't buy happiness no money does i mean it does buy you oh, it does <laughs> like it, it does i mean at least doesn't it yeah. it, 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 it did buy me like that i sleep better at night that i'm not stressed anymore that i know that i can support my family that i know that i can support my mom mm-hmm. i mean th- those are things that are made of money and not made with like oh i just love helping people that, that's nothing to do with it <laughs> but i think it's like once you achieve that amount which i think is around I think someone made a study. I think it's around 75,000, 80,000 a year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They, they saw that around, I think 100K. I think 100K a year, they noticed that the, the, the threshold between like money and, um, and happiness disappears. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically once you can, you know, go to holidays and uh, pay rent or buy a house, in, like in a nice house, like it's like 10K a month, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Like in, obviously depend on different countries, but they did the study yeah. in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, mm-hmm. yeah, they did the studies. Like, so there is a price for happiness. I think it's a hundred thousand a year <laughs> in US. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think once you achieve that, be motivated by something else. This is not because this is one thing that I've noticed from speaking with lots of different founders now. That is, um, success is then founders are aiming to make the world a better place a long time now. A lot of what they do, especially with technology, is to try help people. And it seems that is their first goal, and then it's money. Obviously, without the money, they won't be able to do it. But they've got that goal, which produces the results for bringing in money. And that's what I found um, over the last a couple of months speaking to lots of you guys. So yeah, very, very interesting. Matteo, thank you so much for speaking with us today. So nice to see you. So nice to see you again. I think maybe two and a half uh, months after our first conversation. Much um, nicer conversation, obviously still times are not better, um, but uh, we're on our way to victory. We will be victorious and we know yes. you're here with us as well. So it'll be amazing. Matteo, thank you for, for today. Th- thank you, Matt. Thanks.